0: This is Science Matters, the podcast for the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel, thanks for being with us. Professor Jenny McGuire has joint appointments with the Schools of Biological Sciences and Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, so she keeps pretty busy on the Georgia Tech campus. But for the past three summers, she's traveled to the rugged ranges of Northern Wyoming, where she's put on gloves, a helmet, and hiking boots, and she's dug up fossils from the distant past in the hopes of finding clues to Earth's future.
1: We've radiocarbon dated a lot of bones. We're getting age ranges ranging from uh, about 2,000 years all the way down to 30,000 years. And so we're trying to really pinpoint exactly where each of those different stratigraphic layers is.
0: That's McGuire speaking from deep inside Natural Trap Cave in Wyoming's Bighorn Mountains. It's from a new Wyoming public broadcasting documentary about the research going on there. The cave is well named. It's a pitfall cave. A hole in its roof has trapped animals with only their bones and other fossils remaining to tell their stories to McGuire about life there 150,000 years ago. But McGuire believes natural trap cave also has lessons to teach us about how communities evolve over time and how they've been impacted by terrain, animal migration, climate change, Those lessons involve bringing pieces of Wyoming back to Georgia Tech. That's McGuire's students sifting through those rocks and remains here in a Georgia Tech lab for what McGuire calls Fossil Wednesdays. Since 2016, anyone, students, faculty, the public, has been able to help her search the remains to find fossils. I spoke with McGuire about her research at Natural Trap Cave and about her tech lab called Spatial Ecology and Paleontology.
1: What we're really looking at is is how communities shift across the landscape, right? So if we have, uh, if we have glaciers that are coming really far south in North America, how does that drive uh, the distributions of species on the landscape and where they're living and whether or not there's new communities or a total remixing of communities or if communities just shift in a uniform way. So really trying to understand how animals respond to changing climate and changing environments so that we can get a better sense of how they'll respond to increased warming and climate change uh, that's occurring today.
0: And, and that mission that, that ties into the mission statement that's on the website for your lab. Learning from the past to conserve the future. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Right, so our lab works with quite a few landscape level conservation organizations who are interested in figuring out how to prioritize land purchases so that we can maximize biodiversity conserved. And we work to uh, look at the models that they use and look at the strategies that they use and ground test those strategies using the historical record and using our understanding of how things have responded in the past. The thing about right now is that if you look at biodiversity right now as, as a way to say, you know, we want to save as much biodiversity as possible. Biodiversity now is not in a stable place, right? So we've got humans all over the landscape, building roads, building cities, hunting, really affecting uh, all of the patterns of where natural systems are located and where animals are living. Uh, and we also are in right at this moment a period of really rapid climate change. So we are in a state of flux right now.
0: What is it about Natural Trap Cave uh, and, and its conditions that helps you try to figure all of that out? Helps that helps you in your research?
1: So Natural Trap Cave is a really incredible resource for so many different reasons. It is uh, it it has fossils that go back 150,000 years, and so this time period covers an incredible amount of change on the landscape within Wyoming, within North America. Uh, 150,000 years ago, it would have been an interglacial period. So it would have been warm like it is today. Uh, And then we have the onset of the last glaciation. uh, And that. Peaked somewhere around 20, 21,000 years ago. We have a lot of fossils coming out from uh, 20,000 years ago that are really, you know, very solid, dense fossil concentrations from then. And then we have uh, the retreat of the glaciers. We have Native Americans coming into North America around 14,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Native Americans had huge impacts on the mammal ecosystems. Uh, And then we have Europeans coming into the system, right? And so each of these events marks really important transitions in overall mammal community structure. And this cave is able to record, just at a single point, all of these different types of community shifts.
0: You have challenges, though, to be able to get to that location. It's, it's the, the hole is at the top of the cave. It's quite a drop. You have to rappel in there. Um, I was wondering if you had any kind of rappelling experience, any kind of cave diving or spelunking experience before you started your work at Natural Trap Caves.
1: Yeah, so I'd, I'd certainly gone into caves before, uh, but I had not done any vertical work is what it's often called mm-hmm. in caves, so that's the repelling and climbing back out of the cave. I had done uh, indoor wall climbing when I was in graduate school, but it had been six years since I'd done any climbing uh, <laughs> when I went back to Natural Trap Cave, so when I started at Natural Trap Cave. So uh, it was interesting. I was, I was trained on the technique and uh, we trained off the side of like, you know, a seven foot cliff. So I'm climbing, I'm looking down, it looks like I'm on the, on a deck, right? It, <laughs> it's not very far down. I got the technique pretty quickly and they were like, all right, go ahead. And so it was the first time I had done any work at height in like eight years and so and so my first repel I was uh I have to say I was pretty nervous okay. so yeah
0: And then you have to pull yourself up using this lever system using your legs and and your feet and your and your arms to come back up It sounds like quite a workout just every day just to get to the research
1: Yeah it's a real challenge I I say that I have just a tough commute yeah. to do the paleontology but it's it's well worth it for the fossil resources that are in there it's also a challenge to, you know, get the fossils back out, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I, the material that I work on, I actually have to lug out bags of dirt so that we can pick through that dirt and look at the microfauna, look at the fossils. And, uh, and having to lug out, you know, 80 pound bags of dirt in order to pick through that dirt, it limits the amount of uh, fossils. You want to be kind of Choosy about what yeah. you bring out, right?
0: I'm sure, but what you do bring out ends up here at, at Georgia Tech, specifically down the down the the hall from this office where we're speaking in Cherry Emerson, where you on Fossil Wednesdays in the afternoons you allow students anybody to come in and, and help you picking out fossils. How has that uh, How has that helped you with your with your research?
1: You know, it's incredible. Some of the most time uh, intensive portion of the research is going through these bits of of rocks and bones that are all mixed together and picking the bones out. Mm -hmm. And we've had, you know, some days we have 20 people show up and there's just so many people coming and seeing what it's like to be a paleontologist and experiencing a little portion of what it's like to be at Natural Trap Cave because, I mean, we do the same sort of stuff at Natural Trap Mm -hmm. Cave as well on those days when we're tired and want to sit out. We uh, sieve through the the soil and we pick the fossils, you know, at the cave. So we we really, uh, I really appreciate the community and it's been a great way to get everybody involved and excited about paleontology at Georgia Tech.
0: So tell me what you have learned so far in your research from Natural Trap Cave.
1: So what we discovered was that uh, during the Pleistocene, during the last Glacial Maximum, when the glaciers are much closer to the cave, we end up having much moister habitats. It looks like uh, it's still relatively open habitat, but we have a lot higher proportion of of rodents and sometimes frogs and turtles and things like that. Uh, but then as we move into the Holocene, which is, you know, from about 10,000 years ago onward, mm-hmm. then we start having a lot more lizards, a lot more snakes, a lot a lot more high desert sorts of species. And that's reflected in what the communities look like today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't done the analysis yet to really look at whether we have a change in composition between the different kinds of herbivores that we have there and that's something that we're really uh, excited to do very soon mm-hmm. so the idea is that you know before humans arrived and before the end of the last glacial maximum there were lots of really large mammals on the landscape so we had uh, mammoths and we had uh, lions, and we had uh, cheetahs, American cheetahs, Mm -hmm. and American horses, and camels, and we get all of these species in natural trap caves, so we get all of those animals, wolves, really large Beringian wolves, Um, and so we're really interested in trying to see how the loss of all of those species affected the survivors, right, so do we end up having different relative abundances of uh, of the survivors before and after these, uh, we lose all of these large animals on the landscape. Uh, and so that's a really exciting analysis to come. We've been trying to see whether or not there is a bias in the communities, in the community composition, uh, based on what kind of predator might have been eating those animals. And so we're looking to see whether or not uh, there are raptors or owls or um, or mammalian carnivores Mm -hmm. uh, are the ones, if we have a signal that one of those is eating the animals more than others. And so in order to do that, we look at the breakage rates of the bones. So we look to see how frequently the arm bones and the leg bones are broken. And uh, because, you know, owls actually swallow their prey whole. And so, and then they they throw up these owl pellets and, and the owl pellets preserve the bones just totally intact. Wow. Whereas raptors, uh, you may have seen this, you know, the eagle on the Mexican flag, right? Sure. They pick, they pick the bones apart. They yeah. pick the animal apart. Every bone is broken, so almost a hundred percent breakage rate. Uh, and and uh, mammalian carnivores are kind of like us. They kind of chew and they kind of don't, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, you have somewhere around seventy-five percent breakage rate for them. Uh, it varies, of course, by species. But uh, what we end up seeing is something like 50% breakage rate. So it's it's right in the middle. We're really not seeing a clear indication of breakage rate. And that's actually good news. So it's consistent through time. We're seeing not seeing that, you know, if I look at this community, it means that an owl ate everything. And if we look at this community, it means a raptor ate everything. Yeah. And so then if you compare those two communities, All you're comparing is food preference you're not comparing right so we don't want to get that and and we're not we see that we're not getting that and uh, it ends up what's happening is that these wood rats these pack rats that live along the rim of the cave are going out and collecting all of the bones that they can find and and pack rats are one of the best most consistent collectors and most consistent indicators of community composition because they don't care. They like anything shiny and hard. Mm-hmm. They bring it back to their nests and these are their treasures that they store in their nests. And these nests, they, they just hang out there for thousands and thousands of years. The wood rats pass the nests on from mother to daughter, every generation. And so you end up with these nests full of bones, and the wood rats just kind of kick them down mm-hmm. while they're wandering around on the on the rim of the cave, even though they've collected their treasures very carefully they're not very they <laughs> they are a little klutzy. so <laughs> 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 so uh, we have a really nice, consistent source of data that is very representative of the community composition.
0: Not only are you getting help from human scientists, but you're getting help from pack rats as well to help you with your research is that a, is that an accurate way to describe it?
1: Yes, that's perfect. yeah we're getting help from the rats and the humans to uh <laughs> to, to collect, collect your specimens to collect all of these great fossil specimens, yes.
0: That's Jenny McGuire, assistant professor in the School of Biological Sciences and the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. You can see here in the Wyoming PBS documentary at wyomingpbs.org. In the meantime, check out Fossil Wednesdays during the spring semesters in room three twenty six of Cherry Emerson, and McGuire's lab website is maguire, McGuire M C G U I R E dot G A T E C H dot edu. I'm Renee San Miguel. This is Science Matters from the Georgia Tech College of Sciences.